0: What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Current. God, I say that every freaking time. But welcome to another episode of Eastern <laughs> Current. Uh, we're excited about our guest we've got tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some fishing. That's some of my favorite stuff to do. Unfortunately, we don't get to do it here in Southern North Carolina nearly as much as they do up in the Chesapeake Bay. Um, but but it's going to be. We've, we've got a really great captain on that's going to talk about you know mostly targeting bull redfish and cobia, but he's also going to speak on all the other. You know fisheries that the Chesapeake Bay has to offer throughout the year, which I think will be pretty interesting and or I know will be pretty interesting. So that's going to be great. But before we bring him on, I just want to remind you all about our Patreon account. If you do love this podcast, go check that out. You can subscribe to that um, and you get some extra content uploading all these podcasts on there earlier and some extra little um, short podcasts just kind of going over some some daily um, tackle stuff and, and things like that. So go check that out. Also go check out Eastern Current Fishing on Facebook. It's a group for all the listeners to to hang out and talk and, and do all that. But you've been uh, have you been fishing at all lately? You've yeah, some, a little bit. Top water fishing lately, huh?
1: Yeah, I've probably lost the most fish on top water so far this year that I ever have. It's a good way to start. I know. It's a great way I, to start. Dude, I almost <laughs> threw my rod in the water the other day. I had like four or five fish on that popped off oh gosh in one morning and i'm like is it me is it the plug it's you <laughs> is it my rod i
0: was in a spot this morning and i was pulling down this edge and i looked and i was like that looks like a top water plug floating and i pulled over there it was a plug i lost like two weeks ago and it did like Shut up. halfway out the creek yeah i found it got it back cleaned it off it's sitting in the boat right Dude, now. yeah so. i have
1: a kind of a crazy story like that too i had one morning where i threw one on a uh it barely caught an oyster uh-huh. that was underwater and we were you know we were catching fish so i just ended up breaking it off and uh four hours later we're like two miles away probably fishing in a bay and i see a little white plug floating on top of the water (laughs) that's the plug i lost that's pretty awesome
0: that's pretty awesome um saving your money there those things are expensive i know well cool well let's bring on our guest here mr tyler is it non that's how you say it right tyler non yeah none. yep okay. you got her sweet sweet well thanks for coming on man we're excited
2: yeah buddy yeah it's uh thanks thanks for having me here but uh yeah so uh, what, what kind of topwater fishing were y'all doing
1: down there just for uh redfish slot, slot
0: redfish yeah it's oh, kind of the you. main inshore yeah. deal y- y'all get to uh, y'all's redfish i don't even like y'all to see the redfish we catch down here compared <laughs> to what y'all catch over here. <laughs> we're catching a little puppy drum but it's fun inshore in shallow water it's it's a great time it's it's all about the you know the bite you know that's, that's what you right. tell yourself when you catch a little fish that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's a sweet eat <laughs> it's a sweet eat for sure for sure well uh well cool well, let's uh let's let's let people learn about you a little bit we kind of start each episode we have a guest on tell us about how you got into fishing where you grew up and kind of how it's brought you to where you are today as a, as a full-time charter captain
2: Roger that. Uh, so I well, I guess the whole thing started. Uh, my dad was a big crabber on the Chesapeake. That's all he he loved to do. And then uh, you know when I was growing up, um, you know the, the we couldn't rockfish and until the moratorium was lifted. And uh, our first spring season in the upper bay uh, was 1998, I think, and uh, that was. I saw the most craziest stuff ever, you know, catching giant fish as a little kid and that really got me hooked. And uh, it's a really only hobby I've ever had was fishing and crabbing and stuff like that. And then uh, I, started, I started guiding in college and uh, I worked in Alaska in the summertime and uh, that kind of snowballed into a full-time gig. And um, you know, when I got enough money saved up then I got a, my first center console and uh, kind of went from there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's probably how the whole thing got started. But yeah, my dad always crabbed and uh, I was always on the water doing something and fishing just, I don't know, got me. It got me good. Yeah, for
0: sure. Were you, uh, when you were working in Alaska, were you guiding up there? Or-
2: yeah, Yep. I worked, uh, let's see, I did seven full summers and then I did uh, four or five just Septembers. Mm-hmm. I worked for, uh, for, the last lodge I worked for, uh, Alaska Sportsman's Lodge on the Kwejack yeah. River. Awesome. And uh yeah, I spent a lot of time up there and that was a lot of fun, man. It was a good experience. I did that, you know, for a bunch of years in my twenties and uh taught you how to work and I mean them they were it's hard work, it's you know, really Yeah, you're hard not hard just
0: work. a fishing guide up there. You're everything no, I,
2: you know, <laughs> drum the across the tundra up to your up to your nuts in mud, you right. know. <laughs> it's,
0: it's bad. It is bad. Nobody likes nut mud. No, no it's way <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, uh, so when you came back from that, were you right into guiding, you know, here in the States? Or I guess Alaska is the States, too. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, here on the Chesapeake Bay.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So, yeah, so after my
2: first summer, you know, I saved up, my, I bought a commercial license in Maryland, uh, which allowed me to charter fish. And then uh, I got a center console, got 20 foot sea craft uh, with Sweet. my first rig. And I started hustling as hard as I could. And then when I first got started, you know, like the internet, I guess Facebook was around, but like it wasn't like a big deal. So the first like four or five years were slow, mm-hmm. um, just getting the ball rolling. You know, it, you know nowadays if you have got a Facebook page and a boat, you're officially a fishing guide. Oh but yeah, it, it wasn't quite like that when uh, I first started. No, it's but, uh,
0: uh, it's gotten easy to become a fishing guide for sure. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, post everything, and yeah, here you go. Exactly. When you,
1: um, Tyler, when you first started uh, guiding, were you specifically targeting, um, redfish and Cobia or was that no, something you wasn't hadn't really it, it, gotten into yet?
2: Kind of been a big paradigm shift. You know, when I first started running, uh, I was doing lots of rockfish trips. Like that was my primary target species. And, you know, it was, you know, after the moratorium, like the first 10 years after it lifted, like our rock, our striped bass fishery was wild i yeah. talking giant ones crawling over each other, trying to eat p- eat poppers, and like it was the most ridiculous saltwater fishing on planet Earth. You know, That's I mean, so just like, you know, yeah, you'd catch thirty or forty big ones, you know, in an evening. You know, they, they were so it was so crazy when they first lifted. I remember we had a uh, like a skiff, and we would run across a flat until we'd spook like a giant acre school, go upwind of them, and start throwing pencil poppers and. Port- <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, oh didn't my God. No
2: bottom, we had no side scan, no bottom machine, no nothing. We were just ripping them a new one and uh it was all catch and release. Um but you know those same that same body, migratory body of fish, when they you know go through the Chesapeake, they get picked on for our trolling season and then they get eeled on up north and they're just a lot of anglers, you know, through their journey that, that put a good whooping on them and uh now it's just not really what it was, and then I started fading, uh, you know, into some other species as, because I couldn't recreate the things that, you know, people mm-hmm. had seen, you know, in previous years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. yeah, that's so that's tough, little, man.
1: Has, yeah. has, um, has cobia fishing and the bull red fishing always been uh, really good in the Chesapeake?
2: Yep, it all, it all, you know, since the, I'm sure the pilgrims were, were blasting it through them <laughs> in their <laughs> sailboats, <laughs> you know. Um, Yeah, I mean, even, like, there's, like, you know, historical black and white photos of, you know, giant, giant cobias and reds and, I mean, everything. But it's, uh, yeah, I I always think of, like, pre-industrial
0: revolution. Like, how many fish were kicking around was probably scary.
1: They're probably just harpooning them off. The idea (laughs) of,
0: like, what normal fishing is now compared to what it should have been without our interaction is is mind-blowing. Yeah. You know
1: yeah, very, yeah i mean even even around here you hear old timers talk about going out and catching red fish around here oh yeah i mean it's like catching 20 in a day was not a good day
0: yeah oh for sure and, and the bull red fishing down here even off our coast i mean it's great off the outer banks but even down here like you see old pictures of, mm-hmm. of guys fishing the piers and whatnot just catching lots of bull reds lots of cobia and um, yeah. we just all these fish I mean we, we forget what normal is because it, maybe it fades out just slow enough that you kind of start to to not remember what it was like five years sure. ago um, yeah
2: for sure I mean I think people people forget man I mean uh, I've been tagging them for the last few years and even in the you know the handful of years uh, I think yes yeah, our fifth year of tagging and uh even in in that time frame i mean i i just you watch the fish shrink and the average year class shrink and uh i mean that's you know we still have a real good uh cobia and our drum fishery is ex- is exceptional you know it's a slot limit here so them big ones they just keep getting bigger and more and more um and that's and that's awesome you know yeah. we don't get much puppy. You know, we, are, we have no really puppy drum fishery on the eastern shore until like fall time speckled trout mm-hmm. season you no know, we we catch mm-hmm. puppy drumming mm-hmm. in the
0: nice but um do you uh w- with the with the striper do you see that there's a fix like can we get back to what we had um, yeah
2: you know they're, they're yeah for sure i mean I, I think um you know maybe some more proactive management should have happened you know everything in fisheries management seems to be reactive instead of proactive Right, right. but I mean, they'd, be, they'd be crucified at, at you know on a stake if they were you know to have a you know a preemptive move or you know i guess that's what i'm trying to say you know it's i mean hindsight's 2020 20, you know and um it's it's interesting fisheries management i wouldn't want to be in that business no. because somebody's gonna light your truck on fire <laughs> um, <laughs> no but, matter what your
0: decision is either way <laughs> yes
2: yeah, either way you're yeah. gonna piss somebody off exactly. but i mean uh i would say you know right now they did an 18 percent federal reduction okay. um which is great you know i think um I think recreational anglers should uh, have a little more responsibility because there's by, you know, we're the vast amount of the fish taken are by wreck guys. I mean, there's millions, hundreds of thousands of rec guys every day, you know, wearing fish out, you know, and nowadays they're in $200,000 rigs and they got side scan, up scan, down periscope, and they, get, <laughs> you know, the, and, and they got, you know, the social media feeds, you know, yeah. people are on fish now so hard. You know, you don't got to go burn a pile of fuel and go find them. They, they just scroll through their feeds, and they can, you know, people can figure out all kinds of stuff yeah. off the internet. Definitely, Man, I mean, everybody
0: click these mm-hmm. days, especially in a large fishery like like you've got. I, when you said that, it kind of made me think, you know, back to I, I used to spend I spent a couple years gotten in Louisiana. And you kind of watch the guides from up, you know, along the coast to see where the clean water is, where the, where the, you know, the big pushes of those redfish have come. And I feel like it'd be the same thing with a striper. It's like, Oh, they're catching them down by the tunnel. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're bumping up and you can just follow that migration on your phone. (laughs) Uh, Oh
2: yeah, you can for sure. And uh, like half a time you can tell where somebody's at from the watercolor or like, you know, just like little tiny, little tiny cues. But I mean, everybody is, you know, and everybody wants to put everything out there, you know, and be an internet hero. I don't know. It's a, the social media is a is a double edged sword you for know sure. it's a it's been really it's changed vision uh, you know for sure 100% But uh, it's also pretty cool. I mean, I just like looking at fish
0: pictures and stuff, too. Me, too. Me, too. Yeah. It's almost like our senses have become dulled, though, to, like, pictures. And now it's like you need straight-up, like, hardcore video of, like, fish. You know what I mean? Like, everyone's seen the the grip and grin of every big fish. And now you need videos of everything eating topwater. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's got to be topwater. Slow motion.
2: Ultra slow motion. Topwater
1: to (laughs) dubstep music.
2: Yeah. With six six drones, you know, GoPros (laughs) everywhere. Uh, so I, I see some people fishing. It looks like they're—I mean—in a spacesuit, wearing all this crazy shit <laughs> on their chest, and cameras.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a it the the content creation is definitely taken over the fishing, and it's uh it, it, like you said, it's a double edged sword. And, and as a fishing guide, you know, it's a great way to market, but it's also a great way to put unnecessary pressure on fish. So it's uh you got to be careful with with what you put out there and. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, you know, one thing I do see and with this podcast, cause I've had some local guys here be like, why the heck are you creating this podcast? Kind of talking about fishing, explaining, you know, scenarios. And, but I, I'm a big fan of conservation and I feel like the more people that we can like help understand our voice for like an, an issue, the better off we are. Like the more successful anglers we have that, that are conservation minded, I think the better our fisheries, just like duck hunting, like the main People that are you know giving money to wetlands conservation are actual duck hunters, you know, and so.
2: hundred percent, hundred percent.
0: Yeah, that's kind of. 100%. I mean, it's but like you said, it's all double edged sword. It's it's a tough, it's a tough, uh, tough break there. But well, uh, well, that that's cool. I've always wanted to get up there and catch one of those big striper. I think my biggest striper is like thirty three inches, which is nothing compared to what I see some some of those fish from up there, there look like.
2: We 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 still do have. I mean, there's some pockets of them and stuff, and we still catch a couple sea donkeys, man. And but uh, I mean, a giant. Straight bass. I mean, he is that thing has been through war and back. I yeah. mean, he's swam New England and back, and been eating lobsters and all kinds of wild stuff. And, That's cool. You know, when you see a giant one, you just look at him and you're like, "You have got to be kidding me! This thing yeah. is." Weird.
0: That's so sick. So, how a, a full? What's the biggest one you've ever laid your hands on?
2: Mm, I've I've caught a bunch uh, over fifty inches, and uh, I would you know those big ones. Like we didn't like weigh them a lot yeah, of yeah. times, but I would say biggest one the heaviest one I've probably ever touched personally is probably like a 55 pounder nice something like that like a 53 incher you know it once you get over once you get right in that 50 inch ballpark like every inch is crazy I mean they go for and some of them can be bloated you know uh, a bloated 51 incher can you know sometimes can be you know ash, you know heavy as all get out yeah. so it's just I'd say 55 pounds is or maybe 56 somewhere in there I'd have a buddy of mine got a got a 67 and he uh he actually weighed that in a net and so that I mean in he subtracted the net weight or whatever but that wow. was that fish was that fish was like 50 I think it was almost 54 inches like 53 and 3 quarters or something it was a stud it was the biggest one I've ever right. seen a
1: picture of it. Do those yeah. striper's um, cuz you mentioned it earlier you used to take a skiff and and uh find them by just seeing a, a like an acre of them pushing did it, yep. Were you fishing shallow water for those? And if so, do they still get yeah, shallow? Yeah.
2: yeah, they they still get shallow. I mean, the, the, in the upper bay, there's a pocket. Uh, it's like a little offshoot bay. It's called Susquehanna Flats. And it's like one of this big spawning area. And it's like, a, I don't know, like nine square miles. And the average depth is like three or four feet. And uh, I mean, they would, they would pack in there super dense. And they'd be in there for about a month um, in April, obviously. And uh, nowadays, it really doesn't happen like that. But, um, you know, that was, they were in three, four feet of water and we just, we would drive and you would spook just giant, giant schools of them. And it was so silly, I just cannot, turning up wind
1: I cannot imagine from. what seeing yeah. wakes from an acre of massive stripers yeah. would even look like. It would just look yeah. like a big old pot of dolphins yeah. <laughs> running yeah, through there. Just yeah, just thousand,
0: Yeah, thousands of them, dude. Thousands of them. That's so dude, sick. Gracious. And uh, if you've done any striper fishing... You know that they do like to eat top water, so mm, you yeah. got to think when there's and that, I mean, even, those big ones in there, are like just.
1: Yeah, and if those big ones are anything like the small ones, and they don't have very good aim, which it makes it even more exciting.
0: <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, well, cool. Well, let's let's kind of dive into you know what you're going through this part of the season, which is the cobia. And the red yep. fishing, and and why we're on the the talk of conservation is there is there an issue at all in the bay with the cobia fishery that that you've seen, or is it kind of a healthy fishery?
2: No, I mean you know with you know we still have a bunch of fish, um, but you know with with missing the other apex predator species, with missing striped bass, everybody has changed their focus to these other species, um, and because there's not because there's there is no real striped bass fishery that's productive. You know yeah. there's just there's not you don't have many encounters. So everybody started to mess with them big time here the last few years, and putting big fish on the internet and getting everybody all giddy. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, they they're getting hammered on. You know, yeah. we've had a lot of our tagged fish have been you know caught multiple times, and our our um, our return rate on tags is super crazy high, which is very worrisome because there's not a big biomass like you would think of striped bass as a whole that's a huge giant group of migratory fish that are just they're ridiculous in numbers they're supposed to be you know cobia's are more of a, it's it's its not nearly they're not nearly as prolific you know a, as a fish species you know that, as striped bass so I mean they're and they're easy to catch you know they, you can see them
0: I yeah. mean it, it's, not that, it's
2: not that hard yeah, any fish that floats
0: right on the surface real slow it's pretty yeah, easy to catch is like
2: there's one. All right, let's
0: see catch them. Yeah. You
2: know, it's uh, but you know, and they have to be in that warm water. You know, they're just they're continually growing and metabolizing and trying to break down. You know what what they're eating, and I mean, they're growing like a weed. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they're very susceptible to being cat to being caught, rather. Yeah. So, I mean, I you know, it's it's still fairly strong, and but there's going to be they have also continually changing. Uh, regulations, you know, for, for Cobia's every year almost is changing. It used to be one fish per person, then it's been three fish per vessel, and you know, uh, I run two boats here in the bay full-time, and we've never, we try to only kill two a day, um, you know, if people want to take home fish, we keep them at two max, which is still plenty of meat for pet, everybody to go home, and, uh, you know, as somebody asked me, you know, when I started doing that, why I was doing that, if three is the legal deal, and you know, I said, "Well, do you trust the government to make all your decisions for you?" Here, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I, I wouldn't let them walk my dog. You know, right, that's how right. I, I trust. So that's why we started doing that. We felt like it was the right thing to do, and we've been doing that for the last couple of years. And um, you know, anybody who under, understands conservation or that everybody wants to catch fish too. Everybody yeah. wants to fish for the future. That's what you know. Fishing people want to catch fish and to go fishing. So if if throwing a couple more back. Today helps you catch more tomorrow. Then who wouldn't be all about that? Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: definitely. So. What's the quickest you've ever gotten the tag back?
2: Uh, with uh, that we caught the next day. The next day.
1: <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh, that's crazy. <laughs>
2: yeah, we had one, we had one last year that got caught nine times.
0: Really? Holy moly! Yeah. What so is are they keeping the tag in that fish? You're not cutting the tags out
2: no there that there was that was a short fish okay. so he was only like 36 inches and apparently dumber than a box of bricks yeah so his, he liked colorful ass,
0: jigs yeah <laughs>
2: yeah he, uh, he, he is so hungry right now he's probably biting something right now yeah. i swear to god he's like he's eating something i, yeah, I promise yeah <laughs> but um uh yeah so that's alarming you know and that, that just you know goes to show you that there's not tons of them mm-hmm. and then uh we started doing this tagging deal because I'd say it was seven or eight years ago, I saw a fish with a pink bucktail stuck in his back. And I saw that same fish for like 25 days in a row. And I was like, huh, isn't that interesting? How many of these things what are out the there, heck? you know? And, uh, yeah, and one of my like good client buddies, he funded this tagging program, and as far as I know, it's the only privately funded tagging program that I know of, and then all of our Data is recorded and then compiled, and uh, we work with um, our uh, like a uh, Virginia State agency. We're giving all of them the data, you know, when it's compiled. That's
0: and,
1: great.
2: You know, so it's a it's a private tagging deal, which is kind of unique. So there's no no fudging anything. Nobody's telling any of us what to do, which is very unique. I yeah. Don't like, there's no,
1: you
2: know, it, it's <clears> uh, and we're everything is you know to the T, and we keep very you know super sweet records, and uh, it's going to be exciting to see what happens in a, in a few more years of this and see, see where it goes.
1: What's the, um, I think tagging is so interesting. Yeah, for what's, sure. Uh, what, yeah. What's the uh, furthest you've seen one migrate?
2: Well, uh, West, we've had a bunch of returns from like West Palm uh, in Florida.
0: Wow.
1: Holy moly.
0: Um, so yeah. tell me if I'm right about this. I had someone who, who studies cobia out of um, like the Atlantic Beach, Moorhead area, tell me this, that there's really two biomasses of these cobia. And there's like one yeah. that moves north to south and one that moves like in and out from the Gulf to back in, in, in shore.
2: Yeah, I mean, they, they, they try to break them up into a, a couple of different bio, you know, biological groups. And uh, in the Gulf, fish are separate too. And even in the Gulf, there's, you know, like those big old school Destin fish when they were catching them 110 pounders in the 80s, the guys who pioneered the sport. And you know, those, uh, those or they, or they don't really exist anymore, but those fish aren't the same fish that we catch in the Keys. Cause you know, nobody's in the Keys in the Gulf, if you caught a hundred pound cobia in the Gulf in the Keys, it would make uh, the headlines. I mean, like yeah. that's it, never, you know, that's not a thing. They, you'll get an ocean fish on a on a ray or something, maybe that's a sixty or seventy pounder down there. That be a that would still make the paper, but um, yeah. you know, it is it's really hard. It's and I'm sure there's some intermixing too, like and that's why you know for management purposes it probably makes sense to break to break them up into different groups. You'd have to, yeah, you know, you can't, you know, because uh, with all the migratory, with all migratory fish, I mean fisheries management is, I don't know, really tough deal, and I feel bad for them guys. They have a limited data set they're working with too. I mean, they're not out there. If they had unlimited data set, or they return, say that like in Alaska where they return salmon return to a river and they can count them all and get escapement numbers, and then it's a it's a much easier management you know yeah. idea
1: mm-hmm.
2: so um but yeah there's some intermixing you know in and uh, you know our Chesapeake fish have been caught in Florida you know um and you know we've caught lots of tagged fish last year we caught a besides our tagged fish which we caught a couple of our tagged fish again we did um <laughs> but uh you know we caught you know a bunch of other tags from d- different states and North Carolina and um where else uh a lot of North Carolina fish um, and then Virginia Marine Institute of Science they tag a bunch of them we caught a bunch of their tagged fish and um, it's so there's a lot of there's a lot there's a lot of fish being caught you yeah. know, you know uh, you know, there's probably there's got to be a bunch of intermixing, you know, with different different little groups and stuff. And, Definitely, you know, say, yeah, to say there's like they break or they like stop at Georgia and there's two different groups at the Georgia Florida line, <laughs> you know, that would be that'd be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have
0: to be a, be a serious. They also have their you know. own language. They have each, different languages. Each
1: biomass has their own language that they speak.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe they're a different color. Like ones are a little more brown and ones are a little <laughs> yeah. more light. Blue, you know,
0: that's that, that Georgia gray. fish, that light colored fish <laughs> over there. Yeah. You Got to be from Georgia. here's hear his accent. <laughs> um, so I, I, one thing that I was thinking too, when you were talking about how you're doing this private tagging program, is it's another great way to really preach conservation to your clients on the boat. Like not oh, only do they like not only you're saying like let's not kill this fish, but like hey, let's tag this this fish. You just caught and help us study this population of fish. And I mean, I feel like that would get a client more into being like, oh, I don't need to keep any. Let's just tag them all and let them go. You know, so that's oh, cool. Yeah, they, they,
2: they, they people get super into it too. And uh, me and my partner Robbie, we uh, you know, we try to tag a, a you know, a couple every day or you know when we can. Sometimes it's if it's rough or something, you know, it's it it gets crazy with the fish getting beat up and stuff. So we try yeah. to pick our date when we do it. But I mean, it's uh, we got her we got her pretty dialed and uh, it's down to a science, man. We get them in the net, leave them in the water. We have everything prepped and ready, and uh, you know, it, it, I we we feel like uh. Like well, you see them O search guys on there, yeah. Like it's you know we, we get super into it and uh, you know just it's fun just try to you know take care of the fish and uh, be a be, be a nice guy on the water. What comes around goes around. Maybe if, if I end up a
0: cobia a different life, people <laughs> will throw me. in the bucket. You're gonna you be that thing. dumb one eating that orange bucktail over and over again. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd get caught a hundred times. I would too. I would too. Um, <laughs> well, sweet. Well, let's let's move into the red fishing a little bit. So are, are you? targeting those redfish in this exact same areas you're seeing the, the cobia or is there a little bit more of a science behind finding those fish
2: yeah i mean you'll find, I mean in the springtime when they first show up in uh you know usually they, they start coming in in april in decent numbers and uh you know they're in the shallow water then you know they're looking for crabs uh you know and the shallow water obviously is warmer then and then we find them leaving the shallow water you know uh and the flats in mid-may and they start balling up in these like kind of big uh big nomadic groups you know gotcha. and we'll find you know we'll find them over top of structure or on shoals or on a ledge and like they'll be in a certain area a certain like a couple acres or a mile square mile or two for a few days and they'll slide around here and there and a lot of times they're just sitting and chilling on the surface um and then every now and then you catch them when they're going full-blown bananas and like busting on bunkers and mm-hmm. uh that looks like. I mean, Louisiana has a great red fishery, and I guess they see them like when they're in the like off the coast, and they see them busting, and they have their pelicans yeah. diving on them and shit. Yeah, you know, we don't see that a lot. A lot of times they're just kind of hovering there, and uh, over top of something, hard bottom, or you know something like that. Yeah. And uh, you know when you find them sitting there, you're like you, you have a double take. You're like, good night, what is
0: that? You know, Cause
2: there's <laughs> like, like a thousand of them, you know and uh so that's really sweet and uh, it's a very unique thing and uh our red fishery the average fish is i mean he's a beast you know he's a large unit um and uh so that makes it really fun and it's a slot limit so they're almost always oversized i don't think i've caught a slot fish in in years i know i haven't they're all like 38 to 42 average and then we get a lot of fish that are like 45 46 48 inches you know you'll get one over 50 you know if you get into a big pot of fish you'll catch one over 50
0: almost every time well that's um, sweet yeah that's sweet it's uh it, it people think louisiana is like the home of the big bull redfish but they don't realize that north carolina and and uh virginia are really the, the homes of the big redfish I oh mean. yeah
1: it's the, <laughs> the yeah,
2: from north carolina you know i forget what that 90 something 97 pound, I
0: mean. pounds i believe it is mm-hmm. Could you imagine what that thing would look like nah, it, dude. like a dinosaur you could ride it you would have it you know <laughs> beside your boat and you would be like no no no, it's not a redfish like you'd be looking right at it and be like there's no way that's a redfish <laughs> i wouldn't want to touch it he'd bite he'd bite your hand yeah off. he would for sure <clears throat> um yeah that that's cool man the so will you would you say you bump into cobia more so looking for the redfish or bump into to redfish more so looking for the cobia is that kind of a hard yeah, question to answer I,
2: I, I mean we don't find the reds floating every day i mean uh you know august is probably one of our favorite months to find to find the big groups of reds floating um but yeah i mean you are you know cobia fishing and um and we get run right into the, to the groups of reds and, and um when the when the fish get closer to spawning like in august then they also they love holding on structure so we do a lot of uh a lot of bottom fishing and live bait for them gotcha. uh, too in, in august and that's that's much more consistent than find them floating you find them floating is a special thing you know it's Mm -hmm. um you know there it's like uh some national geographic you know wild stuff but you know the yeah so when you
1: when you're bottom fishing for them or or even when you're fishing you, you ever just see a big mass of them on your machine and you're like uh drop right here (laughs)
2: Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Especially when you're when you're when you're fishing around structure too. I mean, you you can see them. I mean, and because they're so a tight knot of them, when you when you mark them, you you know what you're seeing. And uh, yeah, for sure, everybody's dropping jigs. And a lot of times, when you pull one or two up, like more of them start falling, and Mm it it can be just like you know you know they just curious fish. And They'll try to bite the bucktail out of or
0: whatever out of the other one's mouth. I mean, they're a bunch of crazy pigs. I mean, they'll try to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I remember my first season in in Louisiana. We, the, it was like, I had fished down there a bunch, and, but this is my first season down there guiding. And the first, I had gotten on schools of redfish, big schools of redfish down there, but nothing like like this. One day we ran out there, and there was just minnows or bunker everywhere, and there was redfish everywhere. And I'm like, you throw the popping cork, pop it once, like but you're not even finished popping, and just goes down. And yeah, yeah. we'd fight the fish for like thirty seconds and break them off. And then throw it out there again. Fight the fish for like thirty seconds and break it off. There were so many other fish eating the cork underwater, and we we ended up going to like seventy pound or eighty pound uh, leader, and we were still breaking off sometimes because there would yeah. be like you know yeah. just so many other fish just t boning that that plug or that that popper cork <laughs> underwater. Uh, yeah, yeah,
2: same same deal. Like especially braid if it's under a super amount of tension, you know, and they start bumping into it, they'll bust you off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, we, I see that a lot too. Um, you know, I don't come back anymore in April for uh, straight bass because the fishery just it isn't isn't doable for me for you know the style that I used to do. So I I've been in the Keys uh, since 2009 for about four months out of the year cool. and uh, the permit in the springtime. I mean, same thing like big schools of them. You hook a permit like they love to run into line. And you're like, what well, you know what happened? Yeah, you know, yeah. You just bust. Think like, if you back the drag way down though, you can. Uh, a lot of times you can get away with it all, <clears throat> right on
1: do do but, people ever target the uh bull reds early in the season when they're shallow
2: yeah i do i do a bunch um you know and uh i get back to virginia in in may and then uh yeah they're you can you can see them sometimes and a lot of times you can just even blind cast points and bars and stuff and catch them on paddle tails um they don't they don't really respond to the pop and cork uh, like they like they do down south. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, just just throwing paddle tails and stuff like that. And if you can't see them, if you, sometimes you can see them if the water's clear enough. But it's it may is can may can be really pretty up here, or it can be still Antarctica. I mean, it's yeah. uh, and that's relative to coming out of the keys. So I just don't like.
0: <laughs> that's true. You have come out of you know ninety degree days, but um yeah do the do the redfish stay down at the mouth of the bay for the most part there or are they pushing up in the bay pretty far as well? Oh
2: they'll go I mean yeah, they'll go way up in, in the Maryland waters of the bay, you know the lower like uh fifty eight miles or something is Virginia waters and then but they'll go i mean even historically, I'm sure they were all the way up and down, you know especially in the, when there's low salinity in the late summer they'll go they'll go eighty miles up in the bay they don't care yeah, i yeah. mean if there's bum- there's bunker and there's bait. They, I mean, they all just keep pushing and you know rooting around. They don't nothing bothers them things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, take me through after that question. Kind of take me through the the, the migration of those cobia. Um, once they enter the bay, are they are they kind of hanging around the, the mouth most of the time or, or what? Uh, no, no. I
2: mean, they'll, they'll go way up in the bay too. Okay. Um, they don't. They also don't really care. But um, you know when. They'll when the, when the the warm bay water kind of connects to that water off of Hatteras and there's a uh, you know a nice highway for them to run in, in you know late May then they start just flooding in um, you know running up the beach but um and then yeah you know, they get in here and they'll be in here all summer and they'll be like little pushes you know fish coming in and out of the bay too but um, for the most part they're probably you know in the bay especially when the water temps over seventy they're they're happy as a clam and um, we. Sea fish start to leave like in good numbers, like pushing leaving the bay. When you get like the first couple north blows, you know, in mm-hmm. late August, when it starts to you know it starts to get chilly. You can feel it when it's coming, you know. Yeah. Um, and then you know once that starts to happen, they start balling up and running out the other way. You know, they kind of come in in groups and they leave in groups, um, and then they break apart in the summertime unless they're spawning um they'll they'll break apart and you'll just see a fish here or a fish there maybe a two or you know every now and then a three pack but they're they're a fairly solitary fish it seems like when well, once they
0: enter the bay they kind of disperse and you know they're all kind of sprinkled about gotcha 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 uh, tell me a little bit about what you're doing down in the keys when you're down there guiding you. Where where in the keys are you staying
2: uh I'm, i've been on big pine, on big pine and, too. Uh, I, yeah i do mostly offshore stuff down there you know i uh you know, I love sight fishing and I love sail fishing down there too. But I mean, that's a lot of sight fishing. But I, when I first went down there, you know, I uh, like 2007, I went down for like a uh, or 2008 maybe. I went down for like a month and just checking it out with a buddy and seeing what's up. And we did a lot of flats fishing, and uh, it's very difficult flats fishing in the winter yeah. time. It is cold you know you, you catch a couple permit but i mean that'd be a miracle of baby jesus you know <laughs> you know, you, know you, you pick up a rod and them things are you know shitting in their pants running scared you know they're uh, very educated uh, like,
0: fish down there
2: oh man they hear the they, they know if it's a if it's a maverick or if it's a chitum <laughs> or a skate they hear you coming they, oh, push yeah. of a, they know the tick of a push pole they do for sure um, so that was that was I thought that was a really and it is a difficult challenging fishery and for the people that the normal guy you know it's it's tough you know it's mm-hmm. a tough tough fishery but uh if you take a whole bunch of bait offshore and you start you know live chumming and stuff you can light the you know light the world on fire and uh, creates a very you know easy fishery and um you know that and that brings you into a whole new circus of catching bait which is the most hideous task known to bait. <laughs> You know, you're talking about, I mean, I'm 34 and I got yeah, you know, I got somebody, am I 35? 34 or 5. How old am I? I'm 34. <laughs> um, you sound like me. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, catching bait is brutal on, on a human. But, uh, I mean, you know, tuna fishing, I do mostly tuna fishing. And, um, you know, I do fish a little couple, you know, permits on the wreck in the springtime. Sail fishing in the Keys uh, in spring when they tail. Is ridiculous. You're sight fishing for a fish that swims 70 miles an hour. You know, it's really? fast lightning, <laughs> and uh, that can be a whole lot of fun. It, it's uh, it's like cobia fishing for a bigger, more pissed off fish. Yeah. Um, you know, so I really enjoy uh, sail fishing in the spring. You know, like March and um, March and April, they'll tail when you you know when the Gulf Stream pushes up. Uh, you know, against the reef, you get some yeah. you get some really good conditions, and they start coming. I don't know where they come from. I mean, they'll be like it'll be slow forever and then you know you'll get an east wind and an eastbound current and you know conditions will set up and they're magically everywhere i'm like this is it this is crazy um so i like doing that and then uh tarpon fishing too you know i do um i don't you know i don't have a flats boat i, I got two 26 foot center consoles and i bring i have a jones brothers that i bring down there and um you know uh, we so I tarpon fish at the bridges and the holes and mm-hmm. out back and we catch them you catch them all, we catch them on bait and we throw paddle tails at them yeah. i don't do i don't do a whole lot of wizard sticking um, just cuz i'm not <laughs> set up for that
0: program right right now i hear you <laughs> wizard uh, i i i do a lot of fly fishing but the more i guide the more i want to push away from fly fishing and sight cuz it's yeah. like like today i had fly fishing clients and it was blowing 25 miles an hour and cloudy and the water was muddy and the guy sucked i'm just gonna be honest it was not <laughs> it was not good um but it was uh it, we had a fun time and and but i was just like golly man i really am getting What uh, want to catch that. do what i want to catch it, yeah exactly you know? exactly no they were super cool very laid back but it's just tough yeah. it's tough when you want to put guys on fish and you and and you go out on those days you're like hey we can go throw bait or we can even go throw you know some spinner baits and top water plugs and you'll catch some fish and they want to throw the fly rod and yeah, um, yeah yep. it, it was it was a tough day but it, it, i i like to di- diversify and i feel like that's what you do as well is really kind of spread yourself out and do a lot of different types of fishing and it keeps you into it it keeps it interesting
2: yep and uh you know i do i love fly fishing don't get me wrong i do a lot of it personally um and uh you know i just like using the right tool for the right job if conditions are are sweet and set up nice for fly, and there's fish everywhere you know then i i love fly fishing for tarpon that's a lot of fun and stuff like that, but I mean, uh, and for cobias too, and reds and everything. But yeah. you know, if it's if it's tough out, I mean, why make it tougher on you? You know, every you know every day is a little bit different, and I feel like you know you wouldn't use a three quarter inch wrench when you needed a half inch. So why <laughs> are you gonna you know use a fly rod when you should be using a spinning rod on this day with this condition? Right, know, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. That's where that's where I'm at. That's and totally Alaska great. kind of ruined it. Ruined it a little bit for me. I kept getting hooked in the neck and stuff. You, know, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. you don't like those peg beads smacking in the back of the neck.
2: Oh man, going Mach six.
0: I know it's yeah. uh, it's those little things sting like tiny little paintballs smacking you. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I, it's I I look at the fly rod now, like you're saying, as a tool. Like this is this is uh, awesome to use when the conditions are correct
1: for it. Yeah, but, I mean, it really like in a super cloudy day and windy. If you don't live in a place that literally has fish everywhere, yeah. where you can just blind cast it and yeah. catch one, it's it's like, tough. It's super tough. It's super tough for sure. Yeah. And we don't. If you
2: find that place where, if you find that place where fish are everywhere, let me know where it is because I'm gonna move there.
1: <laughs> I think it's called Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, maybe Louisiana.
0: <laughs> but it, it, you know, even Louisiana is getting tougher, man. Tougher and tougher each year. And this past year was my first year not down there, and people were just uh, all my buddies were saying how. I mean, every year it seems like it multiplies, and how much harder it gets down there. Um, yeah, there's just so many people getting into fishing as a as a recreational sport. Well, that's interesting
1: awesome. too, because like those fish, the bull reds, like people aren't keeping those. Yeah. Down there, but they're still. You think it's just that they're catching on, or that there's? Well, they're they still dying after they're getting caught. I or? think they're
0: catching on, but I think there's a huge issue with the pogie netting they do down there. Oh, yeah, they yeah, kill yeah, so yeah, many redfish yeah. netting those those big schools of pogies. You'll see just acres. I and thought acres they got of, rid of that. There's areas down there that they can still do. I don't know if they can do it everywhere, but there's a lot of areas they can still do it. And I don't know if that's. I have no clue if that's the reason that it's getting tougher. Hmm. Uh, I think it's a lot. I think there's a lot of recreational anglers putting heat on them too. And yeah, um,
2: there's got to be multiple factors. I mean, for those we have the same guys up here. The uh, Omega Protein, they're big, you know, big bunker boats, big purse seine and deal. Um, I, I don't think there's nearly the amount of bike by, up here. As there is down in Louisiana, but you know they're also hammering on an industrial scale. Right. You know all the uh, a link of the food chain. You know, I mean, I don't know if we have enough apex predators right now to to eat all the bunker. If we were to, you know, they were completely stopped, and like there's been all kinds of regs and you know stuff, you know, that's been happening with those guys up here. Um, changes, which you know. You know, if we have more bait, we could potentially have, you know, support more big fish. Yeah. Um, you know, but and those guys, I don't even feel like those guys are commercial fishing. You know, those guys, Ed, is an industrial, you know, vacuum. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, a commercial fishing, fisherman in Chesapeake Bay, they got, they got wooden skiffs and they're pound netting on the beach or they're, you know, have a little tiny piece of gill net catching bunker. And, you know, I went commercial bunker fishing the other day. With a buddy, and we were just shaking up a, a little bunker net, you know. I mean, it was it's not like you're not catching hundreds of thousands of pounds a day per boat, you know. Right, you're catching right. six packets yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's different.
0: Definitely, definitely. It's uh the way you see those boats working down there, and they're good, and they got spotter planes and all kinds of crazy stuff that they're yeah. they can they can wipe them out. But um, we
2: see them every day up here, buddy. Every day we see them with planes, and they got six or eight boats. Really, thanks. Yep, every Dang. day I see I see them, I see them uh, yesterday.
0: Really. Yep. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even realize that. Um, I've I've got your your videos lagging a little bit. I'm just saying that it's completely fine. I'm just saying that for people that are watching, he doesn't your voice doesn't come out <laughs> in real life that way. So uh, if um, there's
2: people watching me, I, I, I'm a, I'm scaring the women and children. I should have put on a like a mask or something or COVID mask. <laughs> oh, no, there you go. Oh, now it right. just
0: jumped back. Yeah. There you go. You're good.
2: <laughs> yeah. Are you guys social distancing? Are you six feet apart? Yeah. This
0: is it's a really uh, big table what <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah we're not social distancing but it's it's no, all right that's no, no, all right no. we got our pants on like we were saying earlier so <laughs> we're good <I> think <laughs> guys I go. yeah. well sweet well it, it i want to I've, I've got your name for people that are watching it's captain tyler nunn and then tidewater charters is your instagram and how they can look you up online but um yeah is, is that your website as well tidewater com. uh tw com.
2: okay uh yeah i think Tidewater Charters was some guy like in Tampa or something crazy. Or oh, really, <laughs> the domain name or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's twcharters.com, and uh, there's some there's some sweet pictures and stuff, and some articles I've, I've uh, written for CCA over the years, and some other stuff that's linked on there. So it's mm-hmm. not just a uh, just the normal standard uh, big fish pictures. I want to you know hero guide shots. There's there's some cool
0: stuff on there too. Nice.
1: <clears throat> I have one um, more question for you, but we kind of touched on it a little bit and since you're tagging this fish i'm sure you know uh, a lot more than most people but where do you see the future of cobia fishing going for your area
2: um i think they're probably going to get you know with so many people doing it these days i think that uh it's going to have to be probably you know the reduced you know um creel limit you know maybe go to one fish a boat or something like that i mean everybody loves catching fish And I, you know, I think, um, you know, even just seeing the year class and the average size fish shrinking over the years and not seeing like these, you know, big ones that, you know, we used to see super frequently, you know, that's kind of alarming. You know, it's still it's not like our fishery is definitely not on its deathbed. You know, we're we're still catching fish every day. They're just a little bit smaller. But, you know, I think like we said earlier, I mean, conservation is a really tough thing. You know, but everybody wants, wants fish. The rec guys want fish, every user group, you know, the commercial guys, everybody wants to have fish. Yeah. And, um, I think, you know, if, uh, if it, you know, just one fish, a boat, if that's what it's got to be so that everybody can have some and enjoy the fishery, then, you know, that would be sweet, you know, and and, um, I don't know but there's just a lot of people these days, you know, and I think everybody should, especially rec guys, there's, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of us in, in a lot of fisheries and, uh, you know, I think everybody should just think about that. You know, everybody likes pointing a finger at everybody else, but what if it's us this time? You know, it's uh it's an interesting thought to think about, you know, it really is.
0: It, it really is for sure. And you got to think too, and I wonder if there's been any studies done on it, but even with just the rise of of the economy and you know, everyone's making more money, there's more people buying tower boats. There's, you know, there oh my it's got to do way more Damage to a fishery, and and everyone, I mean, everyone has the right to get out there and experience it. Yeah,
2: yeah. for sure, it's everybody's natural resource. But there is like thousands of more more boats every year. Really yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and we're in like we talked about earlier too, in the bay too, with with missing, you know, the you know, striped bass fishery as as a whole. I mean, you're just it's not that it's totally gone, but there's just a lot less yeah. encounters. You know, a wreck guy can go out ten trips and you know, he might only get them one time, you know, and that's really disappointing, you know, and um, I don't know, it just, uh, it's wild, the whole so whole what, thing is
1: wild. What have they done with the striped bats to a, bring it, that population eight, back?
2: Yeah, there was an 18% federal reduction um, okay, last year for striped bass management for everybody, and so certain states did it with, like, it moving a they're doing a slot limit or reducing the creel size or you know there is different way or shortening the season they did all kinds of stuff to try to meet this 18 percent reduction some states did some really dumb stuff i would probably say and uh some states probably (laughs) did better management but i mean it's um i don't know uh yeah, so I mean, they have taken they have taken steps toward improving the straight bass fishery. And if I mean if, and some people probably think it's fine. I mean if it's a wreck guy that went out 3 times in a spring and he happened to catch them all 3 days, he probably thinks it's fantastic. But <laughs> Yeah. You know, if you're out there like you just, you know, if you're out there watching things go down every single day, um you know then you can you can definitely develop a pattern you know uh, you know a lot of it's a very anecdotal you know this is observation based stuff most of the stuff i say so i mean somebody's probably like this guy's you know full of it or whatever but i mean this is just what i'm seeing and uh you know the things that i've i've learned you know i've i've spent my entire life
0: fishing <laughs> yeah and it's so yeah. hard to study it like we were saying earlier you know observation from a fish that you can, you know, I mean, we're, we we've got the best guys that are on the water every day are really going to be the best tool to study oh, yeah. what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's not hard science, but it is, a, it's definitely something that needs to be paid attention to. So.
2: Yeah, for sure. sure. And well, the, the last thing too, with that, with the striped bass thing, uh, you know, the Hudson fish, that biomass of fish seems to be doing quite a bit better than the Chesapeake fish. So those guys up North too, probably thought it was very unfair that, they were getting an eighteen or whatever it was percent reduction because yeah. their fishery, you know, is better off. But our Chesapeake fish go right through their, you know, their territory too. So I mean it's and you know, how can you tell look at a fish if it's a Chesapeake fish or a Hudson fish or whatever? I mean it'd be in, it you know, it's impossible. Right. But I right. mean I'm sure they're probably a little butthurt up there. But I mean, you know, just everybody everybody likes to catch fish, so I think it was probably it, you know, it wants to see fish in the future rather, so it's probably a good thing at what what happened. I definitely totally agree with that.
0: definitely and you look at North Carolina as a story of the striper fish that we used to have off off the beach and in the Outer Banks, and and
1: it's should terrify pretty people. much non-existent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, everybody
2: went to Oregon Inlet in the '80s and, and rock fished. I yeah. mean, there was, I mean, all them guys were doing it and catching big, giant slobs, you know. And then when that, you know, that slowed down, then everybody went to Virginia Beach in the wintertime, and just the the, the ball of them just got smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, now everybody's like, oh, they're outside the EEZ with you know, like economic exemption zone or whatever, the three mile line. And I'm like, them fish were probably programmed to run out there. And they've been doing it since, uh, the, since before the pilgrims got here, since the dinosaurs
0: <laughs> like, you know, yeah.
2: but it's, it's all interesting, man. I, For I sure. it's, uh, you could sit and talk about fish forever. It's yeah. Especially
0: of... fish politics. You can, you can get get yeah, wound up and go forever. Wow. So, well, cool. Well, we're going to wrap her up. Is there anything else you want to share or, or anything like that before we, we, we get, we're done with this?
2: No, oh, no, man. I'm you for having me. And, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I get, I, I get ranting and talking, and uh, but yeah, hopefully I said something that that is uh, somewhat interesting. It was I mean? Uh, let's see.
0: You had me on the edge 20. of my seat, man. Yeah, that's what you want. Somebody 20. can wind up a little bit and just <laughs> let them run with it.
2: Yeah, yeah, English is even a tough language for me. I usually, I start. <laughs> Everybody uh, says I talk like a hillbilly or something, but it, it, it is what it is.
0: No, I like it, man. I think people are going to dig this one, and uh, we have a lot of questions and and people that want want to hear guys from from your area and people have been specifically asked to hear from you too so if you ask me to hear from Tyler you're welcome I got him one <laughs> so well thanks man well I'm gonna switch well I'm already on my camera because yours was lagging just a bit but guys thanks for checking out this episode of Eastern current um, we're gonna keep them coming Sounds I've good. I've got a baby coming any day now so uh, you might see a slight dip in in podcast but they'll still be coming so we'll uh, we'll see you on the next one
2: Have a good one. See you guys.